0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 174 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up this week, we have news of a data breach that has closed a number of spa stores across the north of England. We then have news of a data breach at car Volvo. And we then travel across to America to Atlanta in Georgia where TOTS Communications has had a data breach. We then have news of a data breach at Gravatar. And then to Australia, where the South Australia government has had a data breach. And then to Japan, where Fujitsu has issued an update following its data breach earlier this year. We then have news that the Irish DPZ is inviting comments on its Instagram ruling under Article 60 of GDPR. We then offer some thoughts on the EU Artificial Intelligence Data Consultation, which we mentioned last week here on GDPR Week Show, we then have the first outcomes from the EU data management consultation, which has been ongoing for a number of months now. We then have an important ruling from the Central Court of the European Union, which has ruled that consumer groups can launch GDPR legal action themselves and not wait for action to be taken by the relevant data protection authority. And finally this week we have for you some clarification on data transfer rules as we know from tools that to I help there so it's been giving you some confusion. We'd also just like to remind you at this point that we only have one more episode of the GDPR Weekly Show this year which will be next Sunday, the 19th of December and then we're taking a short Christmas break and we'll be back on January the 9th, 2022. Although if there are any major stories which break in the week between Christmas and New Year we may have a short, special episode on January the 2nd. We hope that you find this week's afterwards useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at ggprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive and wherever possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. <laughs> We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to GDPRMadeSimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. For a limited period until the end of November, it's only £7.99 which is a saving of £7 on a normal price. As its name suggests, we've made it a very simple guide to GDPR, but nonetheless a guide which covers everything that you need to do to ensure that your organisation is UK GDPR compliant. And so we'd be extremely grateful if you'd purchase a copy of our new book, Profits from the Book, help to Go Towards the Cost of Running the GDPR Weekly Show. And of course, if you've got any feedback on the book, then please either leave the feedback on Amazon or alternatively, email us, as usual, at feedback at com. We really hope you like the book. We've put many hours into its production, and we hope, like the podcast, you find it extremely useful. <clears throat> and we begin this week with news that bar convenience stores across the UK either had to revert to cash-only payments or shut altogether following a cyber-attack. More than 300 stores across the north of England may have been affected, with point sale devices taken offline, meaning the stores were unable to take card payments. The attack is believed to have first hit James Hall & Company, a Lancashire-based wholesaler that services buy UK stores, on Sunday. The full extent, of the attack is currently unclear, but the company said the attack had affected all of its IT systems, including staff emails. The National Cyber Security Centre, NCSC, is currently investigating the attack and said we are aware of an issue affecting SPAR stores and are working with partners to fully understand the incident. A spokesperson for SPAR said we are working to resolve this situation as quickly as possible. It is currently impacting stores' ability to process card payments, meaning that a number of SPAR stores are currently closed to shoppers or only taking cash payments. We apologise for the inconvenience to stores and our customers and we are working as quickly as possible to resolve the situation. If we receive any update from SPAR or from the ICA, we will of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Merry Christmas and
0: a happy new year from the GDPR Weekly Show.
1: Stay safe, stay
0: home, save lives.
1: Volvo Cars is investigating in a cybersecurity breach and theft of a limited amount of the company's research and development data. The data breach was reported on Friday this week by the Swedish car maker. Volvo said one of its file repositories had been illegally accessed by a third party. Investigations revealed that a limited amount of the company's R&D property has been stolen during the intrusion, the company said. Despite the limited amount stolen, there had been an impact on the company's operation, Volvo Charles said, without providing more details on the size of the breach or exactly what was stolen. A Volvo spokesperson also declined to provide more information. All Volvo would say is that it is working with an independent third-party researcher to investigate the theft. Volvo said it implemented security countermeasures including steps to prevent further access to its property and notified relevant authorities after it detected the authorized access. It appears that the theft was targeting company R&D data not customer information. Volvo said it does not see with currently unfavourable information that this has an impact on the safety or security of its customers' cars or their personal data. Again, if we get any update from Volvo, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the Power Witch Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Atlanta in America now, and the cable and TED communications provider, Cox Communications, has disclosed a data breach after a hacker was able to gain access to personal information of its customers by impersonating a Cox support agent. The company's customers recently began receiving letters in the mail informing them that an unknown person or persons had impersonated a Cox support agent in order to access customer information. The Hasher likely employed social engineering as a means to gain access to Cox's internal systems. Once the company learned that the hacker had impersonated one of its support staff, it immediately launched an internal investigation into the matter and notified law enforcement. In the database, notification letters sent out to customers, Tops Communications Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer, Amber Hall, explained that some information in customers' accounts may have been viewed by the hacker, saying, After further investigation, we discovered that the unknown person or persons may have viewed certain types of information that are maintained in your TOX customer account, including your name, address, telephone number, Trot's account number, Tops.net email address, username, PIN code, account security question and answer, and all the types of services that you receive from Tops." Although Tox Communications has not revealed whether any financial information or passwords were accessed, it's advising customers to monitor their financial accounts. In order to prevent any possible identity theft that may occur as a result of the breach, Tox is offering a free one-year subscription to Experian to all its affected customers. The Security Alert website, however, important notified users that the profile information of 114 million Dravatar users had been leaked online in what they characterise as a data breach. However, Gravatar denies that it's been hacked. It's understood that the user information of every person with a Gravatar account was open to being downloaded using software that scrapes the data. While scraping is not technically a breach, the manner in which user information was stored by Gravatar made it easy for a person with malicious intent to obtain user information which could then be used as part of another attack to gain passwords and access. Gravatar accounts are public information, however the individual user profile accounts are not publicly listed in a way that can easily be browsed online. Ordinarily, a person would have to know account information like a username in order to find an account and all the publicly available information. The problem seems to have occurred because the information was recorded in numerical order. Because of the use of numerical order rather than random numbers, it meant that once someone knew one number, they could guess the next sequence of numbers. It's also understood that Gravatar was only using the MD5 hash for encrypting emails and it's now known that MD5 can be easily unencrypted. Gravatar said that it minimized the impact of the user information collection. And said, if you want to learn more of how Gravatar works or just the data shared on your profile, please visit http colon If we receive any update from Gravatar, we will be to explain it to you in the next wave well episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk@gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: Australia now, and the South Australian Government has disclosed that the sensitive personal information belonging to tens of thousands of employees of the Government was compromised following a ransomware attack that hit the system of an external payroll software provider last month. The number of records accessed corresponds to at least 38,000 South Australian Government employees, but it could be as high as 80,000, according to South Australia's Treasurer, Rob Lucas. The company behind this data breach is Frontier Software, We suffered from a ransomware attack on November 13th, 2021. According to the company's statement, the threat didn't pivot to client systems through their products, and the data exfiltration only affected a specific segmented environment. The ongoing forensic investigation and other response activities conducted by Frontier Software and CyberCX has now confirmed evidence of some data exfiltration from Frontier Software's internal Australian corporate environment, the company said in a statement. We have not identified evidence of compromise or exfiltration outside of this segmented environment. The data that has been compromised according to the South Australian Government includes the following first name, last name, date of birth, tax file number, home address, bank account details, employment start date, payroll period, remuneration, tax withheld, payment type, lump sum payment type and amount if applicable, superannuation contribution and reportable fringe benefits tax amount where appropriate. The only public entity that wasn't affected by the incident is the Department of Education which does not use frontier products. The highest of the high to the lowest of the low and all the rest was in between are potentially impacted with the exception of teachers and the Department of Education, Lucas told ABC News after disclosing the data breach. Having the bank account details doesn't give you access to the bank account, but it's the first step in trying to track a code in terms of passwords. We expect the state government to take all possible steps to review its cybersecurity measures in order to prevent such an event in the future. Government employees affected by an incident are advised to treat incoming emails, calls, and SMS messages with caution. Additionally, everyone should reset their passwords and activate two-factor authentication wherever possible. Affected individuals should closely monitor their bank statements and report any suspicious transactions to the authorities. Exposed people can take advantage of a free ID care cybersecurity support service following the instructions laid out on the incident announcement on the South Australia government website. It's believed that the Tonti ransomware gang, who we've mentioned several times here on the GDPR Weekly Show, are behind this South Australia data breach. Merry
0: Christmas and a Happy New Year from the GDPR Weekly Show.
1: Stay safe,
0: stay home, save lives.
1: If you are already a listener to the Digital Weekday Show, and you might remember, back in episodes 146 and 147 of Digital Weekday Show, we mentioned about a data breach at Fujitsu. Well, this week, in a statement released on Thursday, Fujitsu attributed the Japanese government data breach earlier this year to its Project Web tool. Back in May. Multiple Japanese government agencies, including the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Transport and Tourism, the Cabinet Secretariat and Narita Airport, were all hacked through the Software as a Service platform. A Fujitsu spokesperson at the time confirmed that there was unauthorised access to Project Web, a collaboration and project management software used for Japanese-based projects. After an investigation, Fujitsu said that it now appointed a CISO in October and put in place measures to prevent reoccurrence under a new information security management and operation framework. Fujitsu added that the cause of the incident is still being verified by a Committee of Internal Experts as well as Japan's National Centre of Incident Readiness and Strat- Strategy for Cybersecurity, which will sign off on releasing any information about the incident. Fujitsu plans to introduce a new project information sharing tool that addresses the issues raised by this incident with robust information security measures, including those in line with zero trust practices and will be migrating project management tasks onto the new tool. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Ireland now, and the DPC has announced the submission of a draft decision sent to other EU data protection agencies on Friday in relation to a GDPR investigation into Instagram's handling of children's data that the DPC opened over a year ago. Back in October 2020, the DPC announced two statutory inquiries into Instagram looking at how the social networking giant process children's information following a number of complaints, including one inquiry it said we we'll examine the legal basis Facebook claims for processing children's data on Instagram and whether or not there are adequate safeguards in place. The second inquiry was we'll started to examine Instagram's profile and account settings, looking at the appropriateness of settings for children, for who GDPR sets a very high standard of data protection on key principles that like data protection by design and default and towards the new age-appropriate design code Known here in the UK as the Children's Code. In a statement, the DPC Deputy Commissioner Graham Doyle confirmed the regulator has handed the baton to other EU data protection authorities to weigh in, saying, As the lead supervisory authority for Facebook and Instagram, we opened this inquiry in September 2020. It was commenced in response to information provided to the DPC by a third party and also in with issues identified by the DPC following an examination of the Instagram user registration process. We last week submitted our draft decision to our colleagues for their views on it. This is part of the process under Article 60 of GDPR where we send draft decisions to other concerned supervisory authorities and they have one month to send us their reasoned and relevant objections. This is the seventh DPC inquiry to reach Article 60 stage under GDPR. In addition to this Instagram inquiry, two other DPC inquiries into Facebook are currently at Article 60 stage. The whole idea of Article 60 is that it allows other DPAs to review the lead DPA's conclusions and submit objections if they disagree. It's thought likely that Ireland's draft decision on Instagram will face similar pushback from data supervisors across the EU. In terms of timeframes, it could still take more than six months before a final decision on the Instagram complaint is settled. In the meanwhile, Instagram is facing high-level pressure on its own home soil over its impact on vulnerable users like teenagers following revelations by the Facebook whistleblower Francis Hulgen who leaked thousands of internal documents to the media this autumn, including research that appears to show the platform has a toxic impact on teenage girls' body image. And in September this year, amid a wave of negative criticism, Instagram announced that it was pausing development of a version of Instagram planned for under-13s. This week, Instagram chief Adam Masseri has been called to give evidence to the US Senate as part of a series of hearings about online safety for children and teens. We will, of course, keep an eye on this decision as it makes its way through the other data protection authorities and we will bring you any updates right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. We mentioned in last week's GDPR Weekly Show about the European Commission's investigation into artificial intelligence and data and we thought it was worth spending a few minutes this week just highlighting some of the issues which we've identified as being are key concerns. Looking first at the lack of protection of individuals' fundamental rights and freedoms, the concerns are the use of AI systems categorizing individuals from biometrics such as facial recognition according to ethnicity, gender, political or sexual orientation, or other prohibited grounds of discrimination. The use of AI to infer emotions of a natural person should be prohibited except for certain well-specified use cases, namely for health or research purposes, subject to appropriate safeguards, conditions and limits. Any use of AI for an automated recognition of human features in publicly accessible spaces, whether that's faces, but also things like dates, fingerprints, DNA, voice, teeth strokes or any other biometric or behavioural signal should be banned. We believe that targeted advertising on the basis of pervasive tracking as well as the profiling of children should be prohibited. That laws should require interoperability, making it easier for people to switch digital providers, and that when looking at AI, just like in other parts of GDPR, that the obligation of data protection by design and by default should be paramount. Turning then to supervision, and we have some concerns over fragmentation. So we believe that the laws should provide that, in as much as personal data is concerned, the relevant competent authorities should be the data protection supervisory authorities and not a new authority. They should also specify what happens in situations of overlapping competence between the Data Protection supervisory authorities. It should be clear how certificates and codes of conduct under the proposed AI Act were interface with requirements under GDPR. The proposals should provide for an explicit legal basis for exchange of information necessary for effective cooperation and identify any of the circumstances in which this cooperation should take place. And the proposal should also enable the competent supervisory authorities under each proposal to share information obtained in the context of any audits and investigations that relate to the processing of personal data with the competent data protection authorities, either upon request or indeed on their own initiative. And then we're also concerned about the risks of inconsistencies. And so we believe that the proposals should clearly state that they shall not affect or undermine the application of existing data protection rules and ensure that data protection rules should prevail wherever personal data is being processed that the legal basis for each use of personal data should be clear from the proposals, that terminology should be defined with references back to the data protection legislation in order to avoid inconsistencies, and the proposals should sufficiently specify whether they refer to non-personal data, personal data, or both. We'd also like to see that carried a bit further to say, is it just normal data, or is any of it special category data? This consultation on AI is ongoing, and doubtless we will bring you further updates here on the GDPR you show.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: If you're a a listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we've mentioned several times in the last few months about the EU itself carrying out a consultation into the future of data protection in the EU. And this week, the EU have issued some top-level common threads that it has detected in the responses received so far. It said that many respondents shared data on a voluntary basis which was used for a variety of purposes including innovation, designing new products and services, optimising supply chains, artificial intelligence training and predictive maintenance. A number of obstacles to data sharing were identified including technical ones, i.e. formats and lack of standards, legal ones, refusal to allow access, lack of a legal basis to provide access, abuses of contractual imbalances and just the simple cost. Of data sharing, many respondents, and in particular SMEs and micro companies, were in favour of model contract terms to foster data sharing. There was significant support for a contractual fairness test to avoid the unilateral imposition of unfair conditions to sharing. There was strong support for the use of smart contracts to facilitate access. to and use of data in the context of co-generated Internet of Things data and also for data transfers when exercising data portability rights. Regarding the Internet of Things, data arising from professional rather than personal use, there is recognition of some new challenges for market fairness, particularly where information is stored by the manufacturer of the Internet of Things object. Regarding the Article 20 portability right, the majority of respondents felt that decisions about data generated by connected objects should be made by owners and users of those objects rather than the manufacturers of the objects. And many respondents felt that the sweet generous database rights should be reviewed, particularly in relation to machine-generated data, where there was some uncertainty about its application. The results of the consultation are only just starting to emerge, and doubtless we'll have more to bring you in future episodes of the GDPR Show as we move into 2022.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com
1: An Advocate General of the European Court of Justice has ruled that consumer groups are free to launch claims against data controllers under GDPR in national courts. The ruling comes after the Federation of German Consumer Organisations entered legal proceedings against Facebook, alleging that the social media platform failed to explain to European users how and why their personal data was being processed in its app centre. The case was referred to the CJEU after a German court questioned whether it could try the case since EU data protection authorities enforced GDPR rules. But Advocate General Jean-Richard de la Tour said a Consumer Protection Association could sue a data controller that was accused of violating EU safeguards in a national court if domestic law allowed for it. It would be paradoxical, to say the least, if the strengthening of the means of supervising the rules on the protection of personal data, which the EU legislature wished to introduce when it adopted GDPR, should ultimately lead to a reduction in the level of protection of personal data, he said. Delatorre's opinion, which is not legally binding, referred to the precedent set by the Fashion ID case where an EU court gave a similar decision in reference to the Data Protection Directive, the legal precursor to GDPR. A spokesperson from Meta, which owns Facebook, said... We'll analyse the Advocate General's opinion. Legal clarity on the scope and process of GDPR is important and we're glad the Court Justice of the European Union is considering the questions raised in this case.
0: Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the GDPR Weekly Show.
1: Stay safe,
0: stay home, save lives.
1: From recent talks to our help desk, we know that the whole issue of GDPR transfers, and particularly transfers, outside of the UK and the EU are still an issue which is causing concern as to whether or when you need to use standard contractual clauses. So we've tried to break it down and make it as simple as we can and we've broken it down into three steps. Step 1. Is the controller or processor directly subject to GDPR for the purpose of the given processing? If the answer to step 1 is yes, then proceed to step 2. Step 2. Will the controller or processor disclose by transmission this same personal data to a separate and independent controller or processor. So i.e. is it someone outside your organisation that you're transferring this to or is it just another branch of your own organisation? If it's outside, and so the answer to step two is yes, then move on to the final step which is step three. Is the other controller or processor located in a third country? i.e. are they outside of the EU or the UK? If the answer is yes, then you need the standard contractual clauses. If the answer is no, then you don't. So hopefully that's broken that down simply for you. If you're still unsure, of course, do contact our help desk using the contact details that are coming up right now.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at GDPRweeklyshow.com
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurity production.
0: Until next time, bye-bye.